Well, it has been, uh, it seems to me at least, a remarkable kind of community uh, builder to be a part of uh, throughout the week to, to, to hear what other folks are doing and to explore um, uh, what it is that they're struggling with and the challenge and the excitement of, uh, of whatever spiritual discipline it is that we're talking about. And uh, on Facebook, I, I mentioned that there were at least a couple of others of us on Tuesday here as a staff who were fasting and, and kind of the community that I felt there. And, and also, I think as Jenny Nolan was kind of pointing out, um, the joy I had that we didn't have a staff meeting on that day because I think it could have been pretty ugly um, to have staff when everybody is really hungry. Um, but, but the sense of knowing that, that, that others are out there and kind of struggling with us and that we are on, on mission together to try to understand God more deeply, there's something significant about that, I think. And you certainly feel it when you come in oftentimes, hopefully on Sunday mornings, but to know that throughout the week, wherever you are, even if we can't physically see one another, to know that there are others out there on mission for God together is, I think, a pretty remarkable experience. And so I continue to praise God for this time that we have to, um, to explore um, what it means for us to grow uh, in our faith and to put ourselves in a position in which God can grow more and more in our lives and in the lives of this community. So as we continue in that series, today we're going to look over the 119th Psalm. And we will be looking um, specifically at verses 97 through 112. And so I encourage you to um, either just listen or to read along uh, in your own Bible or on the screens. The psalmist proclaims, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. And I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, again on this morning, I pray. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now I'm aware that the topic of confession was a few weeks ago and, and that Scott preached on it, and so I didn't have a chance to actually confess anything. And so I, 
I thought that it would be good for me to start this morning with a bit of confession. And my confession is this, that we preachers can oftentimes be remarkably long-winded. Amen? You guys are nervous. It's, it's not our fault completely. Most preachers love to talk. It's why we do it. And whenever, you, whenever you're here in front of a captive audience, it's really hard to not just keep going, right? I mean, your kids, you know, are not going to listen to you. And so I get some adults who are stuck. We have closed the doors. They're usually locked during this time. And so this opportunity to be able to just keep going on and on, it, it comes pretty easily. And the fact that preachers can be somewhat long-winded, I learned at a, at a pretty young age. I was, I think I was around seven years old, and um, at this time we were living on the, the small island of Guam, and, and, and we were going to, for Christmas, we decided we had friends in the Philippines, so we were going to go and visit them. And so uh, we, we weren't going to be at home for Christmas, so a few days before December 25th, we had picked as being the, the night when we would open up all our, of our gifts. So we were very excited, my sister and I, and we, we scarfed down dinner, and we, were, we, we had gone in, we were seated, we were, we were waiting to open up the presents when there was a, a, a knock on the door. We said, oh, if this ain't Santa, he's not wanted. And it wasn't. It was a preacher, a pastor from the church that we had just visited a few days before. And he came in, and before you know it, he was, he was there sitting down on one of our sofas, and he began to talk and talk and talk. And, and excuse my language, but the guy would not shut up. And my sister and I, we kept looking at one another and then looking at the presence and then looking at our parents who would give us a stern, disapproving look. And we couldn't believe our bad luck. And even as a seven-year-old, I knew why he was there. He was there. Why do you think he came? To get us to go back. And so I kept thinking to myself, can you just cut to the chase, big guy? We know why you're here, and we have more important things to tend to. But he did not, and so it was two hours. At least that's how I recall it. It was at least two hours. So we finally got to do what we wanted because he never gave us the cliff, ver the cliff version. And so, the cliff notes. And so, as I was kind of thinking about that, and the reason why I, I thought about that is because I realized as I looked over this particular psalm that it's not just preachers, it's also psalmists that can be fairly long-winded. Because this particular psalm is 150 verses long. Now, I considered reading all 150 verses and then just saying amen and sitting down. It would have made for a very easy week for me. But then as I kind of continued to think it through a little bit more, I decided, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I should cut it down to 15 or 16 verses, a mere 10% of this whole psalm. And so I, I selected these verses, 97 through 112, because I, I felt like they were fairly representative of the psalm as a whole, because they include at least two of the main points of this somewhat lengthy 119th. One of those we see in verse 105, where it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And this kind of path 
uh, uh, vocabulary is strewn throughout all of the psalm. You have words like path and sojourner and way and straying. And, and James Lindbergh points out that if you want to understand this particular psalm, you need to read it through the eyes of a traveler. This is somebody who is on a journey. I thought, well, that's exactly what faith is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be a journey. It's supposed to be kind of dynamic and, and moving and taking us someplace. It's, it's somewhat akin to when we talked about um, having a Goonie-like faith, right? And, 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 and let me just take just one brief pause here. On April 16th at the, at the studio movie, uh, some of you know this, there's going to be a replay of, of Goonies at 7 o'clock, if any of you are curious. Uh, not only that, I just found out yesterday that they are working on a sequel. So we're going to have it here. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But, but the sense of, as we talked about when we talked about a Goonie-like faith, of, uh, of the fact that our faith is supposed to be dynamic and taking us to new places. Verse 19 of this psalm talks about the fact that it takes us kind of into a, a foreign land, that that's what faith is supposed to be. It's, it, it's not just there to comfort, though it's certainly a part of it. It's not just there for something that we can do on Sunday morning. So that's also a vital part of what it means to have faith in, in Christ and to gather as a community. But that's not all it is. It's, it's also there as a part of a journey, as taking us someplace, moving us. And my guess is if I asked most of you do, you, do you agree with that? Is that the kind of faith that you want? Most of you would say, absolutely, sign us up. And if I were then to say, okay, well, well, how do we do that? How do we make sure we have a faith that's kind of moving us along? Do we do that through reading of Scripture and understanding Scripture more? Uh, my guess is most of you would say, absolutely, let's, let's do that. That's what we're supposed to do. And, and I would say, I, I agree with you, mostly. But I'm not sure that just reading Scripture is enough. I'm not sure that just knowing Scripture or learning it is quite enough. When I was growing up, uh, we went to several different churches, um, not because we were just moving around, but because uh, we were moving, literally. And so, um, and so I'm pretty impressed as I think back about most of those churches. I think they did a pretty nice job of, of teaching me um, about the Bible. We, we always did these, these sword drills, right? Have you remember those Bible sword drills? Anyone ever do Bible sword drills? Okay. Uh, so um, Bible sword drills are when you would take the Bible. Maybe there's a couple... Only the 60 and 70 year olds are agreeing. So I'm, I'm an old soul. So we would, uh, we would sit there, right? And you would have the Bible and then they would say, okay, uh, fine, Galatians 3.28. And you had to hurry up and whoever found it first would win. Okay. So anyway, so we'll come up with a different analogy um, at, for the 1030 service. So sword drills uh, that would teach us kind of where things are in the Bible, right? And then we would have a kind of contest to, to memorize scripture. Any of you ever have that? Okay, a few more. Okay, good. And so we would, we would memorize scripture passages. I remember when I was in middle school, I won a 10 speed because I, I memorized all these scripture passages. I'm sure that's not why I did it. Um, I'm actually quite sure it is. But, but, that, but so we would keep learning and it was great. And even now I think back and I can, I can tell you most of Hebrews 11 because we had to memorize that when I was in third grade. And 
And, and overall, I, I've, been, I've been quite impressed, actually, with, uh, uh, with how our own children have really been learning here at ZPC. I mean, almost every Sunday morning uh, or Sunday afternoon, Shaughnessy and Adelie um, can tell us something that they've been studying or what they learned that day. And it's, it's quite fascinating, actually. Winnie, our 16-month-old, she's, uh, I'm thoroughly unimpressed with what she's learning. But, but the rest of them, uh, and, and so they can, they can really kind of describe it and talk about it. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, uh, Megan was kind of chastising Shaughnessy because she, had, uh, uh, she was not speaking kindly. And so, and so after Megan told her that she had not been speaking kindly, she needed to be nicer, all of a sudden our little four-year-old said, Oh no, now the kingdom of God cannot be proclaimed. I have no idea where she got that from. <laughs> but she's apparently right. And so, uh, so but, but it's clear that she's learning the Bible. It's clear that she's starting to understand the stories. And, and, and their little brains just soak this up. And I think that is absolutely marvelous. But I also think it is not enough. And I think that when we begin thinking about Scripture and we think, I want to grow deeper, immediately we say, what do we need? We need more Bible classes, which is fine. But immediately we think we need to read more Scripture. Let's, kind of, let's just kind of buzz through Scripture. And I'm here to say that simply reading more Scripture or even memorizing more Scripture, while those are an important, important part of the journey, they are not enough. And in order oftentimes for our faith to really begin to mature, we have to do more than just read Scripture or know what it says. And this, it seems to me, is, is the other aspect of this particular psalm that is really hit pretty hard. We see it in, in verse 97 where the psalmist says, All day long I meditate on your law. Now, law is not really a great translation. It really means more of Torah. So it's more of instruction. All day long, I meditate on the things that God has taught me. And throughout this psalm, again and again and again, the psalmist keeps talking about meditation, how I meditate on your law, on your statutes, on your promises, on your precepts, all of these things. And where were those precepts and law and statutes? They are where? They are found in Scripture for us. And so the psalmist again and again and again talks about the importance of not just reading Scripture, but pondering on it. Not just memorizing Scripture, but beginning to soak in it. And it seems to me that an educated people like many of us are, we think that the answer is simply to know about and to be informed. And one of the things that meditation does is it moves the scriptures from simply being informational to being formational. Let me say that again. It moves scriptures from being merely informational to being formational. It, it moves it from just our simply analyzing scripture to allowing scripture to start analyzing us. And that is a slight but a very important distinction. And as I thought about meditating a little bit more, I, I came across this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that, I, that I, wa I want you to be able to see. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, The word of Scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long. 
just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. This is meditation. Do not ask, how shall I pass this on? But what does it say to me? Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. Ponder it until it has gone right into your heart and taken possession of you. One of the things that really struck me about what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said was when he talked about the fact that we should read Scripture oftentimes, at least when we're meditating, like we read words of someone that we have received from a loved one, that we don't analyze it, we simply ponder it. And as I thought about that, I realized that I I never really learned that until I met my wife, Megan. And, and, and one of the things as I was thinking about this, when I was kind of in college and as I was a young adult and uh, as, I would, as I would date young ladies, by and large, um, I was always analyzing everything that they said and everything that they did, right? I was always wondering, well, I don't know, that's kind of something weird to say. I'm pretty sure I couldn't marry somebody who would say something weird like that. Or, or I don't know, this person, you know, they seem a little bit needy. I, I'd better kind of you know, maybe I should push them away or, you know, I, I, I don't know, this, you know, th- this person likes the Indianapolis Colts. I'm pretty sure I couldn't live with her. So, so all of these kinds of things, but I was constantly analyzing, constantly questioning, constantly skeptical, and not surprisingly, because of the fact that I was always analyzing, that person never really had much of an impact on me. They never really shaped me or formed me in any way. And then I met Megan. And Megan, I certainly analyzed her as well. I certainly kind of questioned her. I certainly thought about what it was that she was saying and doing, and those were all good and right. But I noticed that I didn't stop there. I noticed that there were times when rather than kind of just continuing to analyze everything, I started just to kind of be. And I started just to kind of soak up what she was saying or, or who she was. And I realized as I was putting this in a sermon, I said, this kind of sounds kind of schmaltzy, kind of weird. But it's just, it's just the truth. I, I stopped kind of dissecting everything that she was saying and doing and just started kind of resting in who she was until she kind of took possession of me. Right? And I mean, this is, you know, when people talk about being in love, I mean, in some ways, you know, it's like, what happened to that person? They've completely changed. And, and, and I realize that, that that's kind of what happened. And, and one of the things that we have to begin to realize is if we really want to grow in our love of God and our understanding of the word of God, we have to do more than just kind of analyze it. That we have to spend time simply soaking in it because until we do that, then the word of God will not nearly shape us and form us as it otherwise will. It will not nearly have the impact on our lives that it will until we begin to really simply rest. That doesn't mean we never analyze it, but it does mean that we stop at times, as Bonhoeffer points out, that we stop at times, as the psalmist points out, and simply meditate on what it is saying. So what does that mean? This is not something that we Protestants talk about. When we talk about meditation, we oftentimes think either about kind of 
kind of Eastern religions or something like that, or we think about, well, this is what the Roman Catholics do or, 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 or Eastern Orthodox do. And, and so we don't really focus on meditation that much. We, we don't really have a lot of classes that you come to and say, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna just meditate, right? Uh, and, so, and so one of the things that we do in meditation is rather than kind of sitting down and saying, I'm gonna read a couple, ch- a chapter or, or two chapters, it, you begin really by reading merely maybe, maybe 10 verses, five or 10 verses, And then you just kind of sit there with those five or 10 verses. And rather than kind of dissecting it, you just rest in it. And it's very difficult to do. If you've ever tried to do it, usually your mind is going this way and that. But, but you just kind of stay reading it and you just soak in it. Maybe you go outside and do it or someplace else where you can get away from it all. And then you do it again that day. And maybe once more, maybe three times in a day, you just rest in it. Right? This is not, you know, Scott talked about it in the very first sermon I heard that talked about kind of going through and just kind of doing a checklist and reading as much as possible. This is kind of just sitting there and soaking in it and doing it for a day and maybe a week and maybe even a month. And just saying, I, I wonder what this is saying and I, I wonder how this could speak into my life. It's very difficult. Again, we, are, we like to succeed in things, and you don't succeed in things if, if, if people are asking you, well, how's your scripture reading going? You're like, well, it's going okay, but I've been on the same five verses for the last year. But it's in beginning to do that, again, that, that, that you don't just simply, um, you're not just examining the scripture, but you are allowing it to really examine who you are, to begin forming who you are. And that begins slowly but surely to start making a difference, it seems to me. When I was worked for Presbyterian Global Fellowship, I told you about this last week a little bit. Um, we worked with a lot of different churches, and, and there's one particular passage that we would read again and again and again. It was Luke 10, 1 through 11. It's the same passage that in our first four or five staff meetings we kind of went over. And I was kind of forced, if you will, to, to meditate on this. And I probably read that Luke 10, 1 through 11, um, hundreds of times. And it's the passage where Jesus sends out the 70. Uh, in order to go out and to do his work, if you, if you remember that. Don't, don't worry about it if you don't remember it. I promise you, we will, you'll hear it from me at some point before too long. So, so I kind of continue to kind of read over that. And, and after a while, you begin to think you kind of got to figure it out. You know, okay, well, I've, I've done this 100 times. It's only 11 verses. I'm pretty sure I know what it's saying. And, and one of the interesting things about it is that it talks about the fact that they sent them out in pairs, right? Jesus sent them out, not alone, but in pairs, right? And I've, I've talked to a couple of you about this uh, about this fact. And I've always assumed that the reason that Jesus sent them out in pairs was in order to make sure that they were safe. You know, just like the amusement park I talked about last week, you always go out in pairs, never be alone. And I thought, okay, well, that's great. He went and sent them out there in order to be safe. That makes sense. And, and then something happened about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. And I won't go into all the details because uh, it's a story for another day and another sermon probably. But I knew that Jesus was calling me to step out in faith. And it was kind of a risky step for me. And I felt like I didn't really want to do it, right? And so I, I kept putting it off and kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And I always found great reasons to not do it. And, and, and so finally, I come up with one more great reason to not do it. And so I called my friend in, in Denver, a guy by the name of Joel. And so I gave him this great explanation as to what it was I wanted to do and why it was that I really wanted to put it off for just two more months. It was a great reason. And he said to me at the end of all of that, Jerry, just do it now. 
And I said, Joel, man, I love you, buddy, but you obviously didn't hear me. Let me tell you one more time why it is that I shouldn't do this right now. I'm going to do it, but just in a couple of months. And he said, Jerry, just do it. And as soon as he said that, because of the fact that Luke 10 and 1 through 11 had been running through my mind hundreds of times, I thought of that passage and I realized that I had been reading that passage wrong all along, that the reason why Jesus had them go out in pairs was not in order to keep them safe, but to, but to ensure that they did not remain safe. That the reason why Jesus made sure they went out there in pairs was to make sure they wouldn't chicken out. And the only reason I thought about that and thought about that passage and let that passage read into my life was because I had been forced to read that again and again and again and again. And as soon as he said that, all of a sudden, the scripture came alive again to me. And all of a sudden, that scripture, because it was continually analyzing how I was living my life, all of a sudden, I began to look at you and you and you differently. I realized that you weren't here just to make sure that I was safe, but that you were here to make sure that I was never simply using my faith to just comfort rather than challenging me or challenging one another. But that never would have happened if I had read Luke 10, 1 through 11, one time, and then just continued right on through the rest of Luke and then moved into John and to Acts. This is not an especially flashy discipline. But it is a discipline, I promise you, that will help you in your journey if we are committed to it. And so I want to encourage you all, in this next week ahead, we've given you, uh, uh, we've given you one example, if you want to know, of a, of a possible passage. It's Psalm 8. That's a part of the, the homework. But you can use another passage if you want to. Just make sure it's not a lot. Just five or ten verses. And to read through it once and then read through it again midday and then read through it again in the evening. And to keep doing that every day and asking God to speak through that. Asking, asking God to help you not just to read it, but to allow it to read you. Allow it to challenge you. Simply soak in it. And as we do so, it seems to me that we will move further along in this journey. And as we do, we will begin to understand more and more deeply what it is that God is calling us to. And so I hope and pray that you will hear the challenge. And it is a challenge to simply soak, to allow, as Richard Foster says, the scripture to root inside of you. And as we do so, we will begin to see how the Spirit of God, how the Word of God does not simply inform us, but forms who we are more and more into the person that God has called us to be. Amen.